0: congratulations you're amongst the smartest sports fans in the world want to fight about it join me the hockey troll and that snack poly cupcakes every monday and thursday on the official caps Churp podcast repping the greatest team in the nhl your washington capitals not only do we bring you the best washington capitals coverage but we've got the hottest takes and the tastiest content Tune in wherever you get your podcasts and at thehockeypodcastnetwork.com. Chirp us on all social media platforms at Caps Chirp. See you beauties and vendors there. How's it going, everybody? Welcome back to another edition of the Teledabs It Is podcast, your home for everything Colorado Avalanche and brought to you by the Hockey Podcast Network. I am your host, as always, Griffin Youngs. Folks, we made it. We finally made it. It's finally here. Hockey is back. The Colorado Avalanche are back as they open with Game 1 of their 56-game regular season against the St. Louis Blues. Now, admittedly, this is a little bit of a weird addition since I'm recording on Wednesday before puck drop of the Avs-Blues game, and by the time this is up, the game will be concluded, but that's just going to happen sometimes during the season, and it just so happened to line up with the very first game of the season, so we're just going to roll with it. For today and just get into it as we normally would later in the season. So game one against the St. Louis Blues. How do these two stack up? We have the lines for both sides. We will start obviously with the Avalanche and their opening night roster. Now this lineup admittedly is pretty much the same from what we saw from the opening of training camp, and very little, if anything, changed at all, for Jared Bednar and what he wants this team to look like from day one of training camp to now day one of the regular season. So, on the first line, we do indeed have Andre Burakovsky up on that first line with Nathan McKinnon and Miko Rantanen, with Gabe Landeskog bumped down to that second line with Nazem Kadri and Brandon Saad. Now, I know some people are a bit confused as to why they would break up the Landeskog, McKinnon, and Rantanen pairing, but that second line with Landeskog, Kadri, and Sod is going to be very difficult for other teams to play against. That first line with Burakovsky, McKinnon, Rantanen is going to keep the puck basically the entire game, and the only time they're giving it up is when they're scoring, and that second line with Landeskog, Kadri, and Saad is going to make the other team wish that they never had the puck at all. So you can pretty much do whatever you want. Like I've said many times on, on this show, you have a lot of depth. Use it. Put Burakovsky and his offensive talent with Nathan McKinnon and Miko Rantanen. Give McKinnon two lethal snipers to pass to. And Burakovsky's playmaking, like I've said in the past, is very underrated as well. He can, he can dish that puck to McKinnon if need be. And like I just said, that Landeskog-Kadri-Sod line is not going to be fun to play against. Landeskog and Kadri are going to be getting in people's faces and getting under their skin. Sod, we'll see how he fits in with this lineup. All indications from training camp suggest that he is going to fit in perfectly here with his experience and just add a depth on the right wing. That top six is lethal. One of the best top sixes in the league, as we've we've mentioned numerous times here. So the third line, Valerie Nachushkin, J.T. Kompfer, and Jonas Donskoy. Third line, Tyson Jost, Pierre-Edward Belmar, and Matt Calvert. I really like having Nachushkin on that third line. Nachushkin, Kompfer, and Donskoy is a very... Solid line that a lot of teams are going to overlook with that stacked top six ahead of them. But Nichushkin, like we've talked about before, if he can keep up the pace that he had from last season and even improve on that, he's going to be very dangerous in a third line role. JT Kompfer, another year under his belt, he'll get some more growth in as well. Jonas Donskoy, we kind of know what to expect out of him. I think this third line role on the Avalanche suits him a lot better than the second line role he played for most of last season but he can also plug back into that second line if need be if injuries ever arise and then you get to your fourth line which is very good for a fourth line Tyson Jost will see what he can do this season as he gets a one-year contract Belmar kind of the typical physical fourth line center will bang in a few greasy goals every here and then. Same with Matt Calvert. I mean, nothing really to complain here with the line so far. It's basically the same as what they started training camp with and really no reason to change it until Coach Bednar sees reason otherwise. Again, I like that first line, Burakovsky, McKinnon, Rantanen. That's a lethal offensive line. Then afterwards, you throw Landeskog, Kadri, and Sod up there to open up a lot of space. And that third line, Natchushkin, Kampfer, Donskoy—that's a that line is dangerous, specifically because it's going to be flying under the radar for most of the season if they're together. And Joe Belmar, Calvert—I mean, you don't need your fourth line to be great, but that is a that is a very stacked fourth line it's got the talent of Jost physicality of Belmar and Matt Calvert to just clean up any mess in front of the net very stacked offense we've been through it several times before I don't think we need to go over it again and again and again now we'll finally see just how good this team is on offense a lot of hype surrounding this team time for talk is done now it's time to go out and prove it and speaking of proving it, moving on to the defense, which is just as stacked as the offense. Top pair, Devontae's and Kale McCarr. Like I said on the last episode, the addition of Devontae's I think, is one of the best additions that Joe Sackick has made for this team. One of his best moves outside of the Matt Duchesne trade. Devontae's was traded for specifically to play with Kale McCarr and to put those two together it could turn out to be one of the best duos in the league. McCarr, he's growing into another year this is going to be his second full season after winning the Calder as the rookie of the year last season and now we can really see if McCarr can grow into that Norris caliber defenseman that we all expect him to be after that Call their winning performance last season. Now that he's got Taze by his side, the sky is the limit. Not that Ryan Graves was at all a bad partner for Kale McCarr. Quite the opposite, he was great with him. But when you add Devonte's, you should put him with Kale McCarr. I think that's a perfect addition. There was even a tweet I saw a few days ago from Jay Fresh Hockey that they did a Team Canada preview. Over the summer while the season was on pause and we were waiting for the playoffs. They did they put together a preliminary roster for Team Canada, if they put together a roster this season. And the third pair on that team was Devontae's and Kale McCarr. I feel like that's a pretty good endorsement and something to feel good about as we get into the season. Second pair on the Avs defense. For this game against the Blues, Sam Gerrard and Connor Timmins. Obviously, Eric Johnson, as it was finally reported, tested positive for Covid. and he's almost made his recovery, and he is almost out of quarantine. Likely we will see him after the home stand. But for the time being, Connor Timmins plugging in for Eric Johnson on that second pair with Sam Gerrard sam gerard i mean if sam gerard was on any other team he'd be getting a lot more hype it's just gerard is surrounded by Kale mccarr and now bowen byram coming up and the addition of devon taze just adds a bit more excitement but sam Girard, he got that extension a few years ago for five million dollars for the next seven years that kicks in this season and that could prove to be one of the best value contracts in the league If Sam Girard keeps growing at the pace that he has been over the last three seasons with the Avalanche, $5 million for him until he's 29 is absurd, potentially even 30. That would be an absurdly cheap contract for the Avalanche. And it's insane that you can have that guy on your second pair just because the rest of your defense is so good. I mean, once if Bowen Byram by this time next year is everything we hope he would be, Sam Gerrard is arguably the third or fourth best defenseman on this team and on several other teams, probably even in this division as well. Gerard would be at worst second and on a lot of teams, maybe like some bottom feeder teams around the league, he would be the best. It's just another example of how deep this team is. Obviously, Sam Girard was a part of the Matt Duchesne trade, and he has worked out perfectly here. And as for his partner against the St. Louis Blues, Connor Timmins finally getting his shot in the NHL. Unfortunately, it had to come at the cost of Eric Johnson testing positive, but it seems like Johnson, like I said, is almost out of quarantine and will be rejoining the team again soon. And now is the time for Connor Timmins to really establish himself as NHL-ready. He got two games last season, didn't score a point, got two games in the playoffs before he got injured again. And now is his chance. He needs to take full advantage of it. He's not in some sheltered role on the third pair. He's going to be up there in the top four. And he's going to need to be ready for everything the Blues can throw at him. There's no time for nerves or edging him into it. He's got to be ready right now. And by all indications, he absolutely earned this spot in the lineup, according to Jared Bednar. He had a fantastic training camp, according to coach. So if he can continue that and carry it over into the season, it'll be interesting to see what Jared Bednar does with this defense and all of this talent. Because eventually Eric Johnson is going to be back in the lineup, and you you can only play six defensemen at a time and once Bowen Byram comes out of quarantine after the road trip you're gonna have eight defensemen just at your beck and call ready to play at all times but first and foremost Connor Timmins needs to prove that he's ready and by all indications he will But training camp is a very different animal from the regular season, and he's not getting a cupcake opponent to start out. The Blues are going to be a real test for him. And let's hope he passes it, and let's hope that we can just get another solid young defenseman to plug into this lineup whenever we please. And now, finally, the third pair for the Colorado Avalanche on defense will be Ryan Graves and Ian Cole. Truthfully, not a whole lot to talk about here, both very solid defensemen. Ryan Graves really proved himself last season. Ian Cole in the final year of his contract, and if there is an odd man out on this defense, it would be Ian Cole, like we talked about a few episodes ago. If they have to make a trade for salary cap reasons, or there's there's just not enough ice time to go around, Cole would probably be the one out the door but I wouldn't expect a trade of any sort anytime soon at least probably at very least not until the deadline and I wouldn't I wouldn't put any money down on that happening either but with this third pair a lot of teams struggle to ice a solid third pair and most of the time they can only ice maybe one NHL caliber defenseman or just two very average defensemen or just guys that generally aren't very good unless they have a lot of depth. This third pair would be a very solid second pair on a lot of teams, even a lot of Stanley Cup contending teams. If you removed Sam Girard and Connor Timmons from this equation and you just had Taze, McCarr, Graves, Cole, this team would be just fine. Ryan Graves, Neon Cole are very solid defensemen. I don't think we have anything to worry about when they're on the ice. I think it'll end up being great. And finally, starting in net for the Avalanche against the Blues will be Philip Grubauer. Now, I want to get more into Grubauer later in the show, but briefly, Grubauer needs to have a solid performance in these first two games because... There are there is a certain section of this fan base that does not trust Grubauer as the starter for this season and not without reason. They have a point with not trusting him. So Grubauer needs to come out and have a solid first two games, no bad goals, no getting lit up for 6, and most importantly staying healthy. But we'll get we'll get into the conversation about Grubauer later in the show. Now we can get into the St. Louis Blues lineup for tonight against the Colorado Avalanche this Blues team there are they are very stacked and they cannot be taken lightly as we've talked about several times before on this show this Blues team is really one of the measuring sticks for this Avalanche team this season and if the Avalanche aren't careful, this they can take it to them because the Blues have a lot of talent, a lot of depth, and on paper the Avalanche have the advantage, but this is, this is going to be a tough out, especially these first two games. First line for the Blues, Braden Shen, Ryan O'Reilly, David Perron. Not a fun line to play against and a lot of scoring ability lot of ability to throw you around. Ryan O'Reilly, one of the best defensive forwards in the league. I would imagine that they match up very well against that McKinnon line, and I imagine that the Blues will be throwing that line out there a lot when McKinnon's on the ice. Second line, Jaden Schwartz, Robert Thomas, and Mike Hoffman. We'll see what Robert Thomas is made of this season coming into his own last season and now getting a top six role as a center, which is nothing to sneeze at. Robert Thomas is still young, and it shows how much trust the Blues have in him right now to stick him as second-line center. And he's really turned out to be one of the best players from that 2017 draft class. I mean, you go outside Kale McCarr, Elias Pedersen, and Miro Heiskin and Robert Thomas was taken I believe in the twenties. And he's, if you'd have a redraft, he definitely cracks the top 10 and argument can be made that he could push for that five spot in the draft. He's nothing, he's nothing to sneeze at. He's a very good player. And Mike Hoffman obviously just signed a contract after being on a PTO with the blues, $4 million for one year, adds a lot of offense to where the Blues need it most in Vladimir Tarasenko's absence, however long that's going to be. Mike Hoffman, obviously not the best two-way forward, not a two-way forward of any sort in any sense of the word, but he has a very lethal shot, and if the Avalanche give him space over the course of these next two games, he will make them pay. Jaden Schwartz, hard to really know what to expect from him in a game-by-game basis, but Definitely another threat that the Avalanche are going to have to watch out for over the course of these next two games. If they give any of those players space, they will make them pay. Robert Thomas could have a very strong breakout season. Mike Hoffman, as we just mentioned, very lethal offense. And Jaden Schwartz, very consistent on all sides of the ice. Now moving to the third line for the St. Louis Blues, Zach Sanford, Tyler Bozak, Jordan Cairo. This is where you can start to see the difference between the Blues and the Avalanche. Obviously, you can give the Avalanche the edge in the top six just with the star power of McKinnon and Rantanen alone, but it's not by a lot. They still have O'Reilly, Perron, Hoffman. It's a very solid top six. It's not the Avalanche's top six, but it will make them pay. But then you get to the third line. Now you can start to see the difference in talent. Zach Sanford, obviously... A solid player Tyler Bozak is starting to age a bit and Jordan Cairo still unproven as a member of the Blues no one really knows what to expect out of him quite yet he's had two kind of trial seasons the last two years scoring three points in 16 games and nine in 28 games so maybe this can be a year that he starts to break out And he'll have to prove it against the Avs over the course of these next two games. But you can start to see the Blues are starting to lean on unestablished talent while the Avs are using players like Valerie Nachushkin on their third line and other guys like Jonas Donskoy who've been around. And then you get to the Blues' fourth line of Kyle Clifford, Ivan Barbashev, and Oscar Sunquist a line that is really designed to just ruin your day if you're not paying attention to them. Kyle Clifford will throw you around if you let him. Ivan Barbashev, you kind of know what he is at this point. He's a depth center and same with Oscar Sunquist. Oscar Sunquist, he's a depth player but they are good for about 20 points in a full season, but they can start to throw the body around if need be. And now you get to the Blues defense without Alex Petrangelo. Tori Krug playing with Colton Pareco Krug, signed from the Boston Bruins in the offseason. I think one of the better signings of the offseason, once the Blues realized they couldn't keep Alex Petrangelo, they immediately found a replacement for him. And just instead of just claiming, like some teams do, that they're going to replace him by committee, they actually just replaced him flat out. Second pair, Marco Scandella, Justin Falk. Falk really needs to have a bounce-back year for the Blues after what they gave up to get him and basically how his contract made them unable to keep Petrangelo. And then Vince Dunn and Roberts Bortuzzo. The Blues, they also have a very deep defense as well. They don't have the the Kale McCars or the Sam Gerrards or anyone like that, but they have a bit more of an established defense with players Who've been there and done it, players who've won cups and gone to the finals and aren't af- aren't afraid to throw the body around. Vince Dunn is really the only Sam Girard type player for the Blues, but it's going to be interesting to see how that defense matches up with the star power of McKinnon and Rantanen and how they can how they plan to shut down the Avalanche's top six. Because if the Avalanche if they can light up this defense. They should feel pretty good about themselves heading into the next few weeks of matchups. And obviously starting in goal for the Blues will be Jordan Bennington, who I've discussed a bit on my season preview as someone I'm not sold on right now. He really needs to have a bounce back season. And if the Avs light him up in this first and second game of the season, it's really going to shake faith in this Blues team. Probably in the organization and across the league as well, because Husso is an unproven backup. So if Bennington is, frankly, exposed, the Blues are just going to have to live with it, and they need Bennington to be a lot better than he was in the playoffs and a lot better than he was down the stretch towards the pause last regular season. So we know what each team is going to look like over the course of these next two games and how they will stack up against each other. So how are these two games going to play out? Let's start with the first game. I think the first game of the season is always kind of a crapshoot, no matter for what team. I mean, you can practice all you want. You can run scrimmages all you want to try to enforce your systems and get your team ready, but they don't compare to game action. So game one is always... A mess and i think in this case we're gonna see a high scoring game for both sides and i think that will end up favoring the avalanche since they have the advantage in star power and depth and i would expect the avalanche to take that one let's say five to three in game one blues have made a lot of new additions they're gonna need they're gonna need a moment to gel and to adjust to new systems and for the Avalanche, outside of Saad and Taze, it's pretty much the same team and the same coach, so I don't think there's going to be that much of an adjustment period other than just getting adjusted to game speed for some players, but for someone like McKinnon, I don't think that's going to be a problem at all. I see McKinnon having a big night and the Avalanche taking that one 5-3. to three. For the second game, things will be much more tightened up on both sides, and I'd expect probably a lower-scoring affair. I think these two games and the blue season as a whole are going to hinge on how well Jordan Bennington plays. If Jordan Bennington comes out of the gate hot and proves that what happened in the bubble last season was a fluke, then the blues will be fine and these games will be very close and for the blue season as a whole they're going to be a much bigger threat for that division title but if he comes out in these first two games and he's just okay the avalanche are going to torch him so especially this second game is going to hinge on how well jordan bennington plays if bennington plays well i think the blues will end up taking that second game and maybe uh a lower scoring 3-2 affair, but I do think that one would go to overtime. And the Avs would take three of four points against the Blues to start the season before they hit the road hit the road to play some of the California teams. I mean three of four points is nothing bad at all. I would be thrilled to get two wins in the first two games of this season against a very solid opponent and who I've said before is going to be probably our biggest rival in this season just based on past history. I mean, maybe, maybe Vegas by the end of the season will prove to be our biggest threat and therefore our biggest rival, but just in terms of divisional hatred, the Blues are going to be our biggest rival this season. So if you can get four of four in the first two games of this season, that is an excellent start and really establishes this team as the team to beat. But if the the Blues come out and throw the Avalanche around and win one of these games big, it's going to be tough to stomach because, like I've said before, the Avalanche after these two games against the Blues have games against teams that just aren't on their level, not calling them bad teams or anything, but their very next two games are going to be against the, the LA Kings. And... Yes, you should win both of those games without question. And then you have two games against the Ducks, and then two games against the Sharks, and then two games against the Wild. Actually, four games against the Wild. And then you play the Blues again in early February. So even even if you win all of those games... If you lose one to the Blues, and it's a a 5-2, the Blues kick their ass up and down the ice, that's going to be tough to stomach because you're not going to be able to get another chance to prove yourself against a team that can even be considered an equal for about three weeks. You can throw around the California teams all you want. They're probably not going to be great this season, but that's going to... That's going to be tough if you lose one to the Blues. Because like I've said plenty of times on this show, those games against the Blues and the Golden Knights are going to be the measuring stick games. And if you consistently lose those games, first of all, you're probably not going to win the division. Second of all, it's hard to have a lot of confidence that this team will come out the other side on the Final Four. And... If they can knock off the Blues twice this season or even t- if they lose one in overtime and in overtime it's a coin flip basically 3 on 3 anything can happen 3 of 4 points is the bare minimum here losing one in regulation against the Blues is would be tough and this is what happens when you have expectations on a season you expect to win all of these games because you have a team that it, when you look at you look at the rosters is better than you'd say probably every team in the league. So coming into each and every game, it should be expected that you win and then eventually when you don't because you just you you don't win every single game, it's disappointing. And it hurts even more to lose to a team like the Blues because you should be better than them. And frankly until you prove otherwise, they are still the kings of the division. They won the Stanley Cup and won the division last year. You still have to take that crown from them. So that's what I mean with expectations. You need to deliver still. Yes, this team is the Stanley Cup favorite. Yes, most people expect the team to win the division. You still need to prove it, and you still need to knock off the blues. And if they can't if they lose both games against the blues, especially in regulation that's gonna that's gonna be a faith shaker that is gonna take some time to repair because like i said they can throw around the california teams all they want and then toss around minnesota for four straight games but you're not playing the blues or golden knights for at least three weeks i mean once you get to february it's a different story you've got the blues twice early and then vegas four times along with arizona I mean, February is going to be the toughest month of the season. You open with the the second half of that four-game series against the Wild at home, then the Blues, then the first game against the Coyotes since the playoff matchup, and then four straight against Vegas with one of them being the outdoor game on Lake Tahoe. And then you close it out against the Coyotes. So January, once you get past the Blues, not that hard of a month also why you need to put on a performance against the Blues in these first two games. But overall, my prediction is the Avs win a high-scoring affair in the first one. Second game goes to overtime. Coin flip after that, because overtime is just tough to predict, might go to a shootout, might not, but I also do have a hard time imagining the Blues going 0-2 start season, so i Lean Blues in that second game, but the Avalanche taking three of four points in their first two games of the season. But wrapping that up now, by the time this podcast is up, the first game against the Blues will already be in the books, and you can basically tell me just how dumb I am if I end up getting that wrong. But I did want to move on now to Philip Grubauer, who I said I would get back to earlier in the show. And Recently, I put out a poll asking Avs fans how much they trust Philip Grubauer as the starter heading into this season, because Grubauer is the starter. Bednar said as much. He's going to be getting 65% of the games, which comes out to be 36 games the same as he did last year. So I asked, do you trust the Avalanche's goaltending tandem of Philip Grubauer and Pavel Francouz ahead of this season? And getting 36 votes, most people answered yes. 47% answered yes. However, 28% answered no because there's too many injuries. And then another 25% answered no, not even when they're healthy. So 53% said no. They do not trust Philip Grubauer and Pavel François ahead of this season. Now what surprised me most with this poll was that no too many injuries and no not even when healthy were very close. 28% too many injuries, 25% not even when healthy. I assumed after I posted this that most of the no's would come from no too many injuries, which I think is fair. Grubauer has suffered a lot of injuries during his time as the Avalanche's starting goalie, But I was surprised that people don't trust him even when he's healthy. Because Grubauer has been very solid during his time as a member of the Avalanche. But the knockback on him is that he gets injured a lot. And he played 37 games in his first season with the team. And he played 12 games in the playoffs. And last season, he played 36 games and only played 7 in the playoffs before getting injured in game 1 against Dallas. And in that time, Grubauer has a 917 in his first regular season, those 37 games, a 925 in 12 games in that playoff run, a 916 last season in those 36 games, and then a 922 in the 7 games he played last playoffs. So, I'm not quite sure where this they fans don't trust Grubauer not even win healthy. Now I know I added Francoes into that mix as well, and I know our last impression of Pavel Francose was that bad playoff run for him. But we're forgetting that Pavel Francose played two less games than Grubauer last season, thirty four games, and in those thirty four games was a nine twenty three goalie. One of the best save percentages in the league. Yes, in the six playoff games he played, he was an 892, which is not good at all. But a 923 in the regular season, that's not not—that's—that's that's not a mistake. These are two very good goalies, and I agree that they do have too many injuries a lot of the time, and that maybe at some point this season we're going to have to see Hunter Miska come into the net and see what he's made out of, but the twenty-five percent no, not even when healthy. I I gotta be honest. I I don't understand what that means or why. Because like I've like I've been repeating, yes, they get hurt a lot, but when they are in the net, what's not to like? Okay, yeah, they're not Andre Vasilevsky or Robin Leonard or. Carey Price or Connor Hellebuck. But there are teams with much worse goaltending situations right now. Much, much worse than what the Avalanche have than two goalies who last season posted a 9-16 and a 9-23 in the regular season. The Pittsburgh Penguins are relying on Tristan Jari right now. And Tristan Jari had one not even one season he had half a season of success last year in his first time as like a tandem starter with matt murray and then he went to the all-star game because of some injuries to the other metropolitan goalies and he got attention based off of that but people forget that after that his numbers cratered he was a sub 900 goalie after the all-star break and despite the fact that his numbers remained over 920 to finish the season, they're relying on Jari now to be the guy, and I just don't know how well that's going to work out for them, and that's and that's just one I can name off the top of my head, a goalie situation much worse than what the Avalanche have. I mean, he can even look in the division. The San Jose Sharks are have been basically defined by their goaltending problems even before they started missing the playoffs. I mean, look around the look around the league. I mean, the Panthers are still paying Bobrovsky $10 million for the next six seasons. And even if you think Philip Grubauer is a bum and should be out of here as soon as possible, I got good news for you. This is the last year of his contract. So it's not like he's some anchor that's dragging the team down. And Pavel Francouz has one more year after this at $2 million. So again, I just, I just don't understand the negativity towards the goalies outside of being concerned about their injury history. Because yes, the injury history is a problem. I will absolutely concede that. And I, for one am concerned that Grubauer is not going to last the entire season and what that would mean if can Pavel Francois take over again was a 923 too much for him last season and will those numbers crater this season but to say you don't trust these guys when they're healthy I just don't understand that Grubauer he's been around he was the backup in Washington behind Braden Holpe for a long time, and Grubauer has never had a save percentage worse than a 9.15 in his career. You know what to expect from him when he's healthy. The only question is if he can stay healthy. And I understand those concerns, but say you don't trust him when he's on the ice, I don't. I don't get that. I really just don't get that at all. But moving on now to the captain, Gabe Landeskog, who will be an unrestricted free agent after this season. And he still does not have a contract extension. And while no one's sweating yet, I got to tell you, there's that, there's that voice starting to creep into the back of my head, maybe suggesting that Landeskog is going to hit the market And I don't know how much I believe that voice, but until a contract is signed, that voice is going to be there. But there is something to alleviate some of those concerns, because Landeskog was asked about it as training camp wound to a close. And he gave an emphatic answer, and he wants to sign a long-term contract with the team, and he wants to finish his career as a member of the Colorado Avalanche. And Joe Sackett said just about the same. He said, hopefully we're going to work something out during the season, and both sides are content to see where things go. If we have to wait until the offseason to get something done, we're pretty confident that Gabe wants to finish his career here, and we want him to finish his career here. So even though Landeskog doesn't have a contract right now, all signs point to him having a contract by the time he would hit the market in July. Late July, I was going to say July 1st, but all these dates have changed and they're impossible to keep track of. But I would put money on Landeskog being a member of the Avalanche next season. It's always scary when you see your captain coming up on unrestricted free agency. I mean, we obviously just saw Alex Petrangelo leave the Blues to go to St. Louis and that's not very comforting when you've got your longtime captain all of a sudden coming up on free agency the very next season but we're gonna have to take them at their word for the moment that something's gonna get worked out and it might not come during the season at all it might come afterwards once the season is concluded and in that window after The cup is handed out hopefully to the avalanche but in that window between then and free agency starting hopefully they will work something out and money eventually doesn't become a factor that leads to an unfortunate departure like we saw with petrangelo in st louis and in other unfortunate situations around the league it's a dangerous game to play to be sure But I also wouldn't believe that Joe Sakic is the kind of GM to push something to the last minute if he wasn't completely sure. And Landeskog also made sure to note that this is not going to be a distraction at all during the upcoming season. So, I believe them. I believe that something will get worked out eventually, but I don't know about you guys, but until I see... The tweet that tells me that Landeskog has been extended. There's o- there's always going to be that little bit of doubt in the back of my head that something's going to go wrong and they're pushing it to the last second and they'll hit a hang-up in contract extension because the Avalanche, are going to have to sign Makar as well and they're going to want to keep their money somewhere and everything and blah, 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 blah. They got all the youth and everything. I worry about things like that. But if both sides really, really want to stay like they claim they do, then something will get worked out eventually. And when it comes to someone who's been around as long as Gabe Landeskog has with this team, I mean, he was drafted geez, in, man, in June. He'll have been drafted 10 years ago. Good Lord. And someone who's played 633 games with you, You work it out, and I believe they will, but I'll be sweating a little bit on the inside until pen gets put to paper. But moving on now to wrap up today, I wanted to, now that the season is getting started, make my final predictions around the league for the upcoming season, for who's going to make the Final Four, then eventually the final, and who's going to win the Stanley Cup. I made my division predictions a few episodes ago. You can go back and listen to that for some context. And then after that, finish up with my predictions for the NHL awards from the Art Ross to the heart. So starting with who I think will make the final four and what seed they will be, since the final four will be seeded this year. It's not a conference final. I have number four the toronto maple leafs coming out of the canadian division now i know every time somebody picks the leafs to do well people always dunk on them because the leafs have yet to win a playoff round yet and they sucked last year and they overpay their team and blah 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 if i i'll say this if the leafs don't at least win a round this season at bare minimum they're never going to and they shouldn't stop there. They should be the best team in this Canadian division. They have all of the pieces that they need, or at least that they think they need. And I think there is no excuse for them not to go to the Final Four and come out of this Canadian division on top. It's all there. They have the superstar talent. They've added the, the grit and the toughness that everyone was screaming at them to get over the last few seasons. They have more experience with adding guys like Joe Thornton, toughness with Wayne Simmons, more defensive depth with TJ Brody and Zach Bogosian, and they're getting more growth from someone like Austin Matthews and Mitch Marner and Nylander. They've got to do something this season, and I think they will. But I have them as the four-seed here because I think the Canadian division is going to be tough, and they're going to have to work for every single game. But if they can put it together this season, I think they will eventually make it to that final four. And number three, coming out of the Central Division, I have the Carolina Hurricanes and not the defending Stanley Cup champion Tampa Bay Lightning. I'm a bit high on the Hurricanes this season. I think they're going to get a lot of growth out of their players this season, And I generally just believe in the roster that they have right now. I think Sebastian Ajo is a really, really big star. And if he played in a bigger market, he'd get a lot more recognition than he gets in Carolina. Like if he played in New York or Toronto or Montreal for that matter, if he signed that offer sheet and went to Montreal a few years ago, Sebastian Aho would be a superstar in this league. He's very very good. And they're going to get Andrei Svechnikov in his 3rd NHL season and if there's really no telling what the ceiling for that guy is, he could be in contention for the Rocket Richard this season. He there's really no telling how good he can be. And overall their depth is very very impressive and that's not even to mention their defense, which in my opinion is a top three defense in the NHL with guys like Dougie Hamilton, Jacob Slavin, and they have depth with guys like Gardner, Pesci, Flurry. Brady Shea is a bit of an outlier. I don't know why they made that trade, but he's not the worst in the world, I guess, and maybe he'll fit in with their system, but they've, They've done a great job building this team over the last few seasons, and they're only going to get better. Based on their positions in the last few drafts, I think they have had the best drafts of any team of late. They've picked up steel after steel in the late rounds. And if they don't win the Cup this year, or at least go far, they're going to very soon. Ajo's only 23, like I just said. Svechnikov is just 23. 20 years old the ceiling on this team is very high but dougie hamilton is expiring after this season all of their goalies are expiring after this season which might be a good thing because that is the hurricane's weakness is their goaltending like what people claim the avalanche's weaknesses with their goaltending it's actually the hurricanes where that's a problem i think some people make the comparison between the hurricanes and avalanche a lot as being an east and west version of each other just the avalanche obviously being better and all on um, probably everywhere except defense but even then that's debatable carolina's weakness is their goaltending with morazic and reimer as their tandem nowhere near as good as grubauer and franco's but carolina needs to have a big regular season i don't think they win that central division in the regular season but I think they'll give tampa a run for their money before tampa does eventually win that regular season title and then eventually i think the hurricanes with their depth and now two years of playoff experience under their belt and already a run to the eastern conference final two seasons ago i think they are ready to take that next step because they have put together a very very well constructed team four lines deep Three defense pairs deep, and if their goaltending can just be sustainable and hold up, I think they will go very far. And moving on to number two of the final four, I have the Philadelphia Flyers coming out of the East Division. This one was hard. I mean, everything in the East Division is hard to predict. And before the recording of this show, I didn't have the Flyers in the Final Four, I had the Capitals in the, in the Final Four, but as I thought about it more, the Flyers, they have a lot of strong depth right now, and they have a goalie who, in my opinion, which I'll get into later, someone who could compete for the Vesna this season in Carter Hart, and Everything the Flyers have done to build their team over the last few seasons, I think it's all coming together this season. They have Giroux still producing, even though he's getting up there in age. Voracek still producing, and they're plugging in some high-end youth with Joel Farabee. They're getting Nolan Patrick back. They're adding Morgan Frost to the mix as well. Oscar Lindblom is backed after beating cancer last season. I mean, that's a storyline that should not just be rushed over Oscar Limblom literally beat cancer last season and came back for the playoffs in the same season granted it was paused and started later but he still came back and now he's back full-time this season that is amazing and now um, and they've also got Travis Konechny taking another step this season at 23 they've got the reigning Selkie winner in Sean Couturier as well then you get to their defense. Ivan Provorov, a huge dark horse for the Norris this season, does not get the respect he deserves across the league. Still at just 24 years old, one of the best defensemen in the league. And they've got depth with guys like Gostas Bear, Travis Sanheim, Eric Gustafson, yada, yada, yada. It's a, this is a deep team. And then you get to Carter Hart. Carter Hart admittedly is very tough to predict this season but his ceiling this season is winning the Vesna. if he plays up to his full potential he will at very least be in conversation for it and that alone could take a team far I do have the Flyers winning the East division in the regular season and I do have them in the final four it was it's a tough call it really is i'm still not even sold on the four teams in the east i have in the playoffs right now i've like i've put the penguins in there and the islanders out i have put the islanders back in i've moved the bruins up and then i put them down I've, I've had the bruins outside the playoffs for a few days if i'm if i'm gonna make a final prediction on that division flyers one capitals two bruins three islanders four Final prediction, I have the Penguins outside the playoffs. I just don't like their defense and their depth this season. But anyway, it's not about them right now. I like this Flyers team a lot. They have just about everything you need in terms of depth. They have strong talent everywhere, and I think it can carry them far. And the number one seed for the Final Four coming out of the West division, I have the Colorado Avalanche. Whoa, right? Shocker. Surprise, right? Who could have seen that coming, that I would predict the Avalanche to make the Final Four? But I really do believe that. This isn't just me being biased and trying to get hopes up and everything. I truly believe this team is going to come out of the West Division and make it to the Final Four. I have I've ranted and raved about this team enough times over the past nine or so episodes that I think I've gotten my point across, so I hope everyone understands that I'm not biased when it comes to this. I truly believe that this Avalanche team has what it takes to go on a deep playoff run, and I'll get into more about that later, because now I wanted... To predict what I think will be the Stanley Cup final this season. So, the matchups for the final four, if they go like I predict them, would be the Colorado Avalanche taking on the Toronto Maple Leafs as a one versus four, and the Philadelphia Flyers taking on the Carolina Hurricanes as a two versus three. Some potential fun matchups there. And you could see there'd be no divisional matchups, like some people have hyped up, but there could be two Eastern Conference teams playing each other. We'd have three teams in in the Eastern Conference in a normal season, and the Avalanche would be the only team from the West in a normal season. So if the Avalanche were to lose to the Leafs in that scenario, the Leafs would be guaranteed to play someone from the Eastern Conference. Not really a rivalry, but I mean Toronto playing Carolina would be There'd be something behind that. I mean, they're not friends. There was the whole David Ayers thing last season, but that's not my prediction. My prediction for the Stanley Cup final is I believe the Carolina Hurricanes knock off the Philadelphia Flyers in their Final Four matchup, and they meet up with the Colorado Avalanche in the Stanley Cup final for a matchup of the Avs taking on the Canes for the Stanley Cup. This is probably one of the toughest years it's been to make a Stanley Cup final prediction, mainly because everything is turned on its head in terms of how the playoffs work, but it's it was difficult to predict this because it's hard to really r- plan out a playoff path for a certain team once they get out their division. I mean, for the, for the Avalanche, for example, first two rounds, pretty simple. From my West Division preview, I would have Colorado playing Minnesota in the first round and then playing the winner of Vegas and St. Louis in the second round. But then after that, it's a crapshoot. I mean, you don't even know what division you'll be playing. So if the Avalanche are indeed the best team left, all we know is they would be playing the worst team left. And in this case, I believe that would be Toronto. And I I still feel confident about Colorado making the Stanley Cup final. I I had no idea who to put next to them. I've gone. I've had the Capitals in there at some point, but as I look at that roster again, I'm just Ilya Samsonov and Vitek Vanacek just too too much unanswered questions there if Samsonov can handle being the number one full-time with no safety net and can Vitek Vanacek win games at all is he NHL ready and if he's not can Craig Anderson at 39 step in there but I don't want to make this about the caps but Carolina they had, a, they had a rough go of it in the playoffs last season. They swept the Rangers in the qualifying round dominant series, and then they ran into the Bruins. And even though they lost that series in five, they kept that series somewhat close. It wasn't a blowout for the Bruins. The Bruins, they just had an edge over them. More experienced, been there before. Carolina just wasn't. It would see, I think that was the one matchup for the hurricanes that was a disaster for them out of that whole top four in the east i think they would have beaten washington if they played maybe they would have beaten the flyers not totally convinced about that but at least at least would have been a closer series than it was against the Bruins. like let's not forget the bruins were the president's trophy winners that season as well And there was also Tampa Bay, who I don't think Carolina would have beat, but that would have been a very fun series at very least. But Carolina, the year before that, they did knock off the Capitals in seven games. Admittedly, the Capitals didn't play their best that series, but Carolina took advantage, and then they swept the Islanders in the next round. And then they were swept by the Bruins in the conference final, but they made a run that should be respected. And like I was saying, this team, I think they've put something together here that can win a cup maybe not this season but very soon and i think they they definitely have the ability to go on a deep playoff run but the winner of the stanley cup final and bringing home the stanley cup for the 2021 season i believe that will be the colorado avalanche yes i know that sounds biased. Like I've said, I understand how that looks. For me, a host of an avalanche show to predict the avalanche to win the Stanley Cup. Yes, I know. I see it flat out. I get it. But let me reiterate, I truly believe that statement. I am not just saying this because I want them to win. I tr- I have looked around the league. I've considered all factors. And I have come to the conclusion naturally that I think the Colorado Avalanche are going to win the Stanley Cup. I look at the talent on this team. I look at the experience on this team. I look at just how tight-knit this team is compared to other teams. I mean, all the teams in the league are close, but the Avalanche, to me, they they have a bond, it seems, when it comes to each other. It seems like they genuinely enjoy being teammates, and that is not meaningless and one thing i also took into consideration was last year's playoffs when they lost to dallas and i saw the look on on those players faces in the handshake lines and in the post-game interviews and i've had my mind made up about this for a little while that the avalanche are going to win the stanley cup you need that kind of loss to push you to the next level rarely do you see a team come out and blaze their way to a stanley cup no matter how much talent they have the closest we have come to that in any sort of recent memory was the 2010 blackhawks and even then they had a heartbreaker to the red wings the year before in the conference final you need those losses to push you far i mean just look at the most recent stanley cup champions you can you can go down the list you can start with the penguins the back-to-back Penguins. The year before, the Penguins lost to the Rangers, and the year before that, they lost to the Rangers again. They blew a 3-1 lead. Then the season after, they got crushed by the Rangers in five, lost in overtime. People were asking questions, should they trade Malkin, blah, 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 the whole narratives that surround teams when they lose. Then they come out and they win two straight cups in dominant fashion. And one of the teams they beat Both times on the way to the cup was the Washington Capitals. And everyone asked questions of the Caps. Should they trade Ovechkin? Should they blow it up? And what did the Caps do? They come out in 2018, and they silence it all. They had enough of the losing. They learned everything they needed to learn from the losing and came out and won the Stanley Cup. And then the year after that, look at the Blues, I mean, the Blues' past needs no introduction. They'd never won a Stanley Cup since they were introduced in the friggin' 60s and hadn't been to the Stanley Cup final in nearly 50 years. And in January that season, they were in last place and climbed all the way back into the playoffs. And once they were there, they went all the way. And look at the most recent champs, the Tampa Bay Lightning. They, the season before, tied the Montreal Canadiens for the most wins in NHL history. And we all know what happened. They did not win a game in the playoffs. They got swept by the Blue Jackets in the most embarrassing loss in NHL history. And I stand by that. That was the most humiliating defeat in NHL history. But then guess what happened? Tampa came back and won. Much like Virginia did in the March Madness a few years ago. First team ever to lose to a 16 seed in the tournament. They come back and win the whole thing the next year. I'm not saying the Avalanche's heartbreak has been on the same scale as those teams, but that loss to Dallas last season was heartbreaking for a lot of these players because they really felt like they had a shot. And I think this season they will use that frustration from that loss, and especially if Let's not forget, they they lost to San Jose two years ago in a Game 7, a close series that they could have won. They could have beat the Sharks. You can argue they got screwed by refs or whatever because of an offside. They could have won that series, and that still probably burns, I imagine. So please understand that I am not being biased when I make this pick. I truly believe the Avs are going to win the Stanley Cup, and I'm willing to to put money where my mouth is and willing to make that prediction publicly. I believe the Colorado Avalanche are going to win the Stanley Cup this season. And I think on that note, we can wrap it up for today. Folks, the NHL is back. We have finally made it. Next time you hear from me, the first two games will be in the books. And we will be on our way to los angeles to play the la kings and we can talk about how those two games against the blues went but that is going to do it for me today on this edition of the tell it abs it is podcast follow me on twitter at g young's nhl and follow the show at tell it abs it is next time we'll have plenty to talk about we'll have real hockey to talk about not speculation not line combinations not potential moves actual real tangible hockey games to look at i can't wait we're finally here thank you all so much for tuning in i have been your host griffin youngs and i will catch you all next time when hockey is officially back